Hi, friends. Welcome to the Connected Families Podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Bellward. Our purpose in this podcast is to guide you to receive God's grace and truth, and then to equip you to pass that grace and truth onto your children. I'm so glad that you're here with us today. One of the things that sets Connected Families apart is that we work to make scripture practical for parents. The Bible is our sure foundation and the first place that we go to in our teaching. The fact that we incorporate brain science and help parents to put that all together also sets us apart. Today, I have Lynn Jackson, co-founder of Connected Families with me today. Hi, Lynn. Welcome. Stacy. I'm so glad to be here today. I know we have a fun podcast ahead of us. I'm excited for this one. It's an interesting topic, isn't it? We wanted to talk about behavior in kids and how we as Christian parents are really understanding that. So we have had a lot of conversation on our social media, on our discipline that connects alumni group, Facebook group, and parents are wondering, as I look at misbehavior, is this sin? Is this just genuine struggle. That's the conversation for today. It's going to be a little bit of a doozy, isn't it, Lynn? Uh-huh. It's pretty controversial. <laughs> yeah, it is a bit controversial, but it's definitely something that many, many parents, especially Christian parents are struggling with. Well, to have that conversation, we have invited a special friend of the Connected Families community, Amanda Erickson is with us. Amanda is passionate about helping moms to be less stressed and angry so that they can flourish in their motherhood. The passion was born out of her own experience with postpartum anxiety, rage, and anger. She delights in linking arms with other mamas so that they know that gentle, peaceful, grace-based parenting, it's not only scripturally sound, it's actually possible. In 2019, David, her husband, and Amanda founded Flourishing Homes and Families as a ministry to equip and empower Christian parents to lead their families with grace and gentleness. So Amanda is an artist and Amanda does the very best reels on Instagram of anyone <laughs> out there. So welcome to the podcast, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited about this discussion today. I am too. We had your husband on a couple yeah. of months ago and yeah. that was really fun. He had a great conversation with, with Jim in that one, but we get you today. It's ladies day at the podcast. It is ladies day. That's great. <laughs> That's super great. Well, Amanda, tell us about your family. How many kiddos do you have and how old are they? Yeah. So David and I have two boys. They are eight and six and a half. Ezra is our oldest. Elijah is our youngest. He Elijah's our feisty, strong-willed has a very big personality, kind of like me. He gets it from me. Yeah. <laughs> and then Ezra is definitely bent more towards David's personality, very uh, introspective and reflective and thoughtful. And they're such a big part of who David and I are and who God has called us to be and how he has grown and matured us in Christ through, you know, through our children and through parenting them. And we're thankful yeah. for them. And you really do have a voice in the Christian community. And so we appreciate that. And we appreciate your ministry. And you chimed in, in <laughs> the alumni group, the Connected yeah. Families DTC alumni group on yeah. Facebook. It's a, it's a mouthful. Okay. But we've got <laughs> hundreds, way a lot, a yeah. lot, lot. I think almost 
I don't maybe more. Yeah, you're coming up on a thousand. Yeah. People in that group, people who have gone through discipline that connects and you chimed in on the conversation and you're just a voice in our community. And we wanted to include you it, that, that conversation started because there was one really sweet mama. And she said that her and her husband were really deeply wrestling with a question that I know you have wrestled with Lynn, you've wrestled with, I've wrestled with. And the question said something like this, like how are Christian parents to understand misbehavior in the light of sin? She said this was causing lots of struggle in their marriage, but it was particularly difficult because one of their sons has autism and OCD and other struggles. So we hear that. And many, many other parents heard that too. I mean, there were lots of responses, but another mom said, my husband and I have debated this topic a lot. Okay. So Stacey, I just want to jump in here too and say, because if there's a dad listening, they might be going, well, great. I'm just going to hear the mom's side. And I just want to express that I know David's perspective and Jim's perspective, and there's harmony in our homes about this issue. Right. So I want to just start off our podcast today, kind of getting in the shoes, like understanding the perspective of our community. These are the people that we love They're part of us. They've gone through our online courses and we talk with them every day on social media. And so they're struggling and they're struggling with this conversation. And I think there's kind of three parts to the struggle. One is the struggle of the child. One is the struggle of the parents. And then, and then there's the element of the messages that they're hearing, right? The parents are trying to decipher all of this stuff. So let's just talk about that. Like what's going on in homes that is bringing up the struggle. Go ahead, Amanda. Why don't, why don't you share first about just the kids? Yeah. So I think, especially in the age of social media, it is a gift because we have resources at our fingertips, but we also have conflicting information. And, you know, on one extreme, parents are hearing that children are, you know, inherently good and everything is motivated out of innocence and goodness and Mm -hmm. delight. And if, if there is misbehavior, it it absolutely is not sin. Children are not capable of sin. This is coming from secular sources and from Christian sources on, you know, on one end of the spectrum. And then on the other side, there is this discussion about, you know, total depravity and everybody is born a sinner and every misbehavior is a sin and it needs to be treated as sin. And we must punish the sin or remind our children of law and grace. And, Mm -hmm. you know, from my perspective, these feel a bit like two extremes, not that, that I disagree that with sin nature, like I affirm sin nature. I do believe every person is born with sin nature, but there needs to be a whole council of scripture Mm -hmm. brought into the discussion and understand what the other things that, that scripture says about children and that without that, it can be really confusing for parents and every parent in the discipline that connects alumni community, every single one is doing the, the best job that they can parenting and the best job that they can, you know, searching out scripture and wisdom from the Holy spirit. And it, it does sometimes create this internal struggle of who is right, who is wrong. I mm-hmm. just want to honor scripture. I want to honor the Lord. I want to right. honor my children. And how do we right. make that happen in practicality? There's such a deep desire to get it right. 
Yeah. And that's what I just feel coming through so strongly in the conversational threads in our community. And, and that's why they're struggling. Yeah. Do you have anything to add Lynn? Well, I think just the whole concept of our brains tend to want to put things in binary categories. It's either this extreme or this extreme, because that's efficient from a brain energy standpoint. You can make quicker decisions if it's things are black or white, but the, the problem is real life is very complex. And there's so many things in scripture that are a wonderful blending of different perspectives that God puts together in ways that only he can. Mm -hmm. And so I think we do ourselves a disservice when we sort of take up camps Mm -hmm. (laughs) without embracing the complexity. And that's the hard rub, especially between parents, when they are disagreeing over that to feel like, well, I represent this side and you represent that side. And we Mm -hmm. come together because there's a beautiful place where these two things come together and really reflect the deeper heart of God toward us. Yeah, that's good because we do see so often here at Connected Families that parents come to us and one is leaning to one side and one is often leaning to the other side. And a lot of that, you could talk from that for a while, couldn't you, Lynn? But a lot of it probably just even comes out of our natural wiring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to make things simple. And then everything I see, it's the confirmation bias thing. Everything I take in (laughs) after I've made my judgment just reinforces that judgment versus really leads me to wrestle with the complexity of it. That can be on both sides too. (laughs) For sure. For sure. The compassion parent or the behavior obedience parent, both sides for sure. Yeah. Well, one of the reasons why I absolutely love the three of us together tackling this topic is that we all love the Bible very much. And we all really love brain science. And so here we are together and we are going to try to tackle the complexity that you were just talking about, Lynn, and, and see how we can do. So let's start with Bible. I always love starting with Bible. So we just want to start with expanding a little bit on something that you already mentioned, Amanda, and that was that we do believe that we're sinners to go even further. We believe that now that we are people with faith in Jesus, we are saints who still sin. And I think that Romans chapter seven and eight are just a great place to go and get a snapshot of that. And, and the three of us believe that I, I love what one mom wrote in social media. She said, sin is simple. We can never get to a point of picking the right choices every time we can never do that. She said for me, no, physically impossible, even if I wanted to. And that's why God gave us Jesus and the cross. So just, Amen to that. Yeah. Like we just, we're not ever going to totally measure up, but then in the context of this conversation, Lynn, do we believe that kids sin? Well, certainly they have the capacity to do that. It's a matter of when does that really begin? Is it right at birth? Is it as they begin to get some cognition? What is that about? But God's grace is so real for that little tantruming child, just like it is for me when I went out into the garage and yelled and kicked tires in my, (laughs) yes, 
But I know Amanda has put some some thought into that. And I want to hear more from you, Amanda, about the very young kids. Ezekiel 18.20 says, parents are not to be put to death for their children, nor children put to death for their parents. Each will die for their own sin. So what kinds of thoughts do you have about this issue of the really young kids and sin and how that works out? I love this question. And I just want to say for the moms and dads that are wrestling with this, I think it's important to clarify that all three of us have struggled and wrestled through this as well. It is Mm -hmm. a good struggle. It is a good wrestle. So several years ago, this was exactly where David and I were. We were really wondering, you know, our, our oldest was coming up on two years old and starting to not act as an infant. That was a little bit more manageable. I was like, he's still like, he's still a baby, you know, like he's only been walking for like four months. Is this really, you know, is this no that he's throwing out at me? Is that really sin? You know? And so we really just started reading what scripture says about children and, and diving into the, the ancient Hebrew understanding of childhood. And there's a couple of Bible verses that I want to share that really brought some clarity to us. And one of them is Jeremiah 19, four. It is in the context of pagans who had sacrificed children to their gods, but it talks about children being innocent in, in Jeremiah 19.4. And in Deuteronomy 139, it flat out states that children do not know good for, from evil, that they cannot choose good from evil. And that that is reiterated again in Isaiah 7.16. It states that children cannot reject what is wrong. So on the one hand, we have from the whole council of scripture that everyone is born with the propensity you cannot escape the capacity for sin. All mm-hmm. of us are born with that, but we are also presented with, there is a certain truth to the fact that children don't always know the choices that they're making. And they don't always know that they're, that they have the opportunity to reject what is wrong and choose the right. And and they're not always able to do that, you know, and in our minds, like Lynn talked about, you know, this binary thinking, like those two things are in opposition to each other. Like either you're a sinner and you're born a sinner, or you don't have the capacity to make the decision. And that is normal for our brains to go that way. But when we look at God's story, both of these are part of what he tells us about humanity and how he sees us. And it may be in conflict for us, but it is not in conflict for God. Mm -hmm. And as parents, we can at the very least rest in that, that it's not a problem for God to see both of those things existing together. That sort of leads what you mentioned as we were chatting before, just about it is God's job to judge that. It's not like, okay, he's coming out of infant stage. Oh, oh, I don't know. I saw a furrowed brow there. I think this one, I think (laughs) that's his first sin. Oh no. (laughs) Right. Right. Put it in the baby book. (laughs) That is up to God to figure out. And for us, and that's why I love that, you know, in Ephesians 6, 4, it's don't exasperate by overanalyzing. And, and just that applies to everything, whether it's got mostly rooting in sin or it's mostly rooted in struggle. We don't have to figure that out so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's about I'm going to teach and train and disciple as the root yeah. of the discipline. So am I hearing the two of you say that there is sort of a a season of greater innocence in smaller kids? And and that's a biblical concept that as they grow older and more mature, they are 
increasingly able to understand right from wrong. Is that, would you say that? Or is there, I would affirm that. Yeah. When a child first comes out of the womb, they don't know where their body ends and their mother's begins. So it's like, that's the brain function that they have at that point. Mm -hmm. So anything that they do is just about a survival need. And it's good for us to recognize that. Yeah. I was, um, I saw a post on social media yesterday and I just kind of went down a rabbit hole because it said that infancy lasts until age three that like from a neuroscience perspective, infancy lasts through age three. And I was like, well, this is sort of a new concept for me, but I remember my research into ancient Hebrew culture and how they view children. And it completely aligns because children were, they were nursed. They were almost exclusively held or carried by their mother or another adult in their tribe until the age of three, because they recognized how fragile and unsafe the world was for, for a child up until about the age of three. And they stayed home. They stayed very close to their mother. They were held and they were nurtured as if an infant. And I was like, it's really wild to me that what we are learning about neuroscience and how a child's brain develops from zero to age three completely aligns with what God's people believed about childhood without any of the science, you know, 2000, 4,000 years ago. It's just like, God, you have been writing this same story over and over and over again through your people for all this time. And it's just beautiful to me. I, I love that. Yeah. Tell us more about ancient <laughs> Hebrew culture and how they raise their kids and how that's influenced your parenting. Yeah. So I think it is really important to just start out by saying it was still a patriarchal culture. There were absolutely still benefits given to the firstborn son that did not exist for the rest of the children. Um, I don't want to gloss it over and make it sound like, you know, it was something that it wasn't. But in the context of the other cultures around ancient Israel, these pagan cultures that were sacrificing their children, they were abandoning infants, you know, at at the gates who were born and, and they were considered maybe like they this infant may not make it to adulthood. So they would just abandon them and not even give any effort into that child's survival. Of course, sacrificing children as well. The ancient Israel culture, they had a very high view compared to that of children. And there are these ancient writings that they are extra biblical. I will say that. I know that is a concern for some people. I think that it provides context for what we find in scripture. It is not scripture. I'm not saying that it is, but it it illuminates scripture in a way that, that we may not see it without those extra biblical writings, but they talk about the innocence of childhood and how up till about the age of 13, that was the full context of childhood for an ancient Jewish child. It was considered a time that was reflective of the garden before the fall. Childhood is described as period of roses. And there's even rabbis who wrote that a child's very breath is free of sin. And so ancient, the ancient Israel culture, they very much viewed childhood as a, as a period of of purity and innocence. It wasn't until age 13 that children were held accountable to the law. And of course, in their context, sin was very much tied to Torah and the breaking of law. And so we can see in there in this rich history that children, in a sense, they were considered innocent. And at the very least, they were counted as innocent, even, even when they weren't, because they were not yet accountable to the law. Mm-hmm. Um, so Amanda, let me ask you, like, 
it's hard for me to think that a child's innocent till 13. Even three, you guys, like, I, you know, yeah. I can remember like the, the sneaking candy mm-hmm. and going and hiding, you know, eating it in the other room. Like that is, a, that is awareness yeah. of what was right and what was wrong. And that can come pretty early. No, I, I do want to clarify. I don't think that children are inherently innocent until age 13. No, I'm just providing some context. Um, yeah. Our understanding of sin is a bit different. You know, I yeah. think that we need to to bring in the whole counsel of scripture and what we see in the New Testament as well yeah. into that. But it was helpful for me to really dig in and understand that God's people historically have had a very awareness of nurturing and protection of children because of the way they viewed them as innocent. Mm -hmm. And I can see that even that research and learning that and coming to understand it deeply would bring a tenderness to your parenting and, and, and that would be rich. Yeah. Okay. We have a lot to cover yet, but we need to move to a break Lynn and Amanda. Okay. Just hang on. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back. Do you have one really intense child or a couple? Almost every family in the Connected Families community has at least one child who is more sensitive and more intense than the other kids. Often what worked for your other kids doesn't seem to work for this intense child. Well, don't pull your hair out in frustration or try to force a square peg into a round hole. Some kids are different. It's a game changer when you learn some new parenting skills and can truly understand and empathize with your sensitive and intense child. Listen, you've got this and we can help. Our free online course called Seven Practical Calming Strategies for Young Kids will take you like 30 minutes and you'll learn seven activities that will help calm and organize your child's nervous system. These activities are fun and will be great in the morning if your child needs help waking up or even in the evening if your child needs help settling down for sleep. The seven practical calming strategies for young kids is a free online course. Our show notes have all the details or go straight to connectedfamilies.org. It's in the free section of the resources page. So go grab that today. We're back after the break and we're having a wonderful conversation. Lynn Jackson is with me. Amanda Erickson is here and we're talking about misbehavior. Do we as Christian parents understand it as sin or just irresponsibility and struggle? And Amanda's been bringing a really rich perspective from her research on ancient Hebrew culture. And uh, we learned that they believed that children were, were innocent until 13 years old. And we all agreed. We don't agree with that. <laughs> we think kids, they understand right and wrong much earlier than 13. But we are also getting into your minds, our audience listening. And so there's a verse that's kind of surfacing. So Lynn, and do you want to bring that verse up and then just respond to it? Yeah, it just popped into my head as we were talking. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child and the rod of discipline will, I think, drive it far from them or something like that. So that makes me wonder about this concept of innocence. But I think foolishness really, it doesn't say sin is bound in the heart of a child. It says foolishness. And the fact that children's frontal lobe is just in very much under development, yeah. <laughs> under construction throughout their childhood. 
that's where wisdom is seated in the frontal lobe. And so if it's like functioning at 10% of its full adult capacity, it needs training and teaching and the discipleship of discipline. So that's how I look at that. And I know, Amanda, you've got some insight on it from your Hebrew study. Yeah, I just wanted to to point out that in the most recent translation of scripture, which was published by the Southern Baptist Convention, the, the Holman Christian Standard Bible, it has Proverbs 22, 15. It reads, foolishness is tangled up in the heart of a youth. The rod of discipline will drive it away from him. And this just, it, it aligns with everything that David and I have studied about the Hebrew word that had, hadn't previously been translated child. All of the, the context in scripture seems to point to that it was actually speaking about a youth, a young man who was now accountable to the law, but had not yet established his own household. You know, that's a pretty wide age range now in today's culture and in Hebrew culture. That is what that Hebrew word, it's na'ar, which was previously translated child, and it, it has a much uh, older meaning than what we originally thought. And I just wanted to, to mention that. I'm hearing a lot of people say, yeah, but and it also says use a rod. Right. So <laughs> woo, we just got into a huge another thing. And I know that you've written a lot about that, Amanda. And so yeah. have you, Lynn, we have a whole spanking ebook on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If anyone wants to dive deeper into that, but, but this is not that day. <laughs> <laughs> What I would say in the context of what the both of you have just said is that the child's at least over 13 years old, then when that verse would be in effect to use the rod, correct? That's what we've said. Every, all of the research we've done on it, that's what it shows that the rod was used primarily on teenagers. Okay, good. All right, (laughs) let's move on. Everybody knows there's lots of more information there that they can get from us. If they want go to our free resources on our website, you can download the the spanking ebook. Let's move on ladies. Okay. (laughs) You know, we mentioned it early in the podcast, but one of the things that our community is struggling with is that they're getting a lot of messages from a lot of different places. And those messages sound like they say these types of things. Kids do well when they can. They say we are hardwired to want to do the right thing. So because doing the right thing is preferable. So if someone doesn't do the right thing, it's because they can't do the right thing. Okay. Which one of you wants to just pull that apart a little bit in the context of what we've said about sin and struggle? Well, I think we all have a priority on meeting our own needs first. That's why in Philippians two, it talks about, don't just look to your own needs, but also to the needs of another person. And so we prioritize our own survival because that's how our brains are wired. But in that, there's an inherent prioritizing of my well-being over someone else's. And that's, I think, where sin comes in is that selfishness that I want life to go the way I want it. And I love the teaching of John, Dr. John Taylor, who's a Christian psychologist, who talks about the importance of distinguishing between malfunction of a child's nervous system because they're overwhelmed by internal stress and misbehavior, thoughtfully making, and he calls it an unwise choice. But I think, you know, when he speaks to non-Christian audiences, that's how he words it. But, you know, would definitely be a selfish, hurtful choice as well. Mm-hmm. So he says misbehavior is a choice. It's an attempt to meet some sort of need in an unwise way. 
Um, and he talks about the best way to prevent misbehavior is to meet the need under the surface that's driving the behavior. It begs us to recognize we all are born with a propensity for selfishness where it's like my needs are most important. Yeah. And that's just tied to our survival response. Stacy mentioned it at the beginning. I struggled with pretty severe postpartum anxiety and it presented as rage and anger. And I remember there were a couple of times it was almost like an out of body experience where like, I knew how I was behaving was so incredibly wrong. I knew I needed to stop and I could not stop myself. Like I was yelling. I threw a shoe at my wall. The mark is still on the wall. I've left it there as a testimony to what God has done, but I was so angry and I could not stop the rage. I sinned against my children. I sinned against my mom. My mom was there that day. There is no escaping the fact that I sinned. And also in that moment, I could not stop. I wanted to stop myself and I couldn't. And I think that most parents at some point, most humans at some point in time have had this experience. And Paul talks about it. Like I want to do, you know, I don't do what I know I should do. And I do do what I know I should not do. You know, Paul talks about that. This is a, this is common to humanity. And when we see that in ourselves, it allows us to hold so much more grace and compassion for our children because maybe they can't control it, but that doesn't negate the fact that they're sinning against someone else. You know, those two things can and often do coexist. Yeah. I remember a little girl coming back from a big social engagement and she sort of was close to an autism diagnosis and her mom asked how it went. And she said, well, I had a good time, but my body was being mean and my heart is kind, but my body was being mean. <laughs> and that, you know, a little four-year-old, I think articulating what you were saying, Yes. sometimes yeah. the stress, the need so high, it's like, we just sort of burst out in this reaction or response. It's an indication that there's a sin problem at the very deepest level, but yeah. the presenting issue is there is so much stress or anxiety happening at the time. And then I just want to read that statement that you said again by Dr. John Taylor. He said, misbehavior is a choice. It's an attempt to meet some sort of need in an unwise way. So it just strikes me that the way that Connected Families teaches is, is our main objective. Our first priority is to teach wisdom. And so how important would that be in the context of even, you know, that little girl or the miss, whatever is going on is I want to teach my child to understand themselves, understand what they need. What is their body telling them in that moment? That's wisdom and will help them to then make a better choice. Right. It's like in that moment of high stress, their brain prunes access <laughs> to all the different, more complicated, wise responses. And it just goes into a big selfish, I need to control this situation response. And so when parents can respond with connection that we talk about so much love and misbehavior, then that starts to calm the brain, open up those alternative pathways. And then parents can lead kids to develop those alternative pathways. Mm -hmm. So instead of slugging their brother, they might go, I'm really mad, I need help. Mm -hmm. But those pathways aren't necessarily really up and running if they're under high stress. That's part of it, you know, that's just really good. And I think teaching that to, to kids is so important. We had this conversation with one of our boys this week, David sat him down. He was having a hard time when his, his Kindle time was over. He was playing his game. His time was over. And he kind of had been struggling with that for a couple of days. And David's like, you know what, when your brain 
it has been having all this fun on Kindle and then it turns off, it's still looking for fun and it struggles to know what to do because it's like, Hey, I just had a lot of fun on this. I, I, I want more fun. I want more fun. And the fun just completely stops. And so what has been happening is it presents as a struggle. You're really struggling with it. But if we know what your brain is needing, we can have a plan in place so that when your Kindle time is over, we can go and find fun away from your screen something that your brain enjoys doing. And it, it gets that need that it a very big and real need that it has in that moment. It can get that, that met and that will help you avoid the struggle of just completely shutting down and, you know, right. ha- you know, having a, a, a meltdown over screen time being over. Right. Yeah. It's like, it's like Jesus steps into our shoes, provides the way of escape from the yes. temptation. Yes. So it's kind of like that. Well, that reminds me of a story in the Bible probably a couple of different stories in the Bible of how Jesus, of how God saw a particular person in their struggle and came down and met them where they are. Lynn, which story do you think of when you hear that? Oh, well, let's go chronologically. I think of (laughs) Moses. Moses was under the surface, terrified, and it came out absolutely as defiance. God says, I want you to go and lead my people and speak to Pharaoh. And he's like, no way, pick somebody else. I can't do that. Immediate solution to disobedience. Moses would have been atomized. Yes. (laughs) With a big bolt right at that moment. But God just, he gives him like one little step at a time. Well, I'll be, you know, I'll be with you. I'll give you this staff. So I don't know the exact order, but okay. Aaron, finally, that's my, yeah. And then it was like, okay, I can do that. So it was like, God just came alongside to help him in the context of defiance in the face of God brought him along to a point where he could step into obedience Mm -hmm. instead of just being terrified and overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's a beautiful story. Another one that I love is Elijah, you know, Elijah had this huge confrontation with the prophets of Baal and just him alone against all these people. And it was just amazing. And then he runs from Jezebel and he says to the Lord in first Kings 19, nine, I have had enough Lord, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. I mean, talk about a whining adult meltdown. That was, and what does the Lord do? You know, he just meets his needs and he provides a tree for him and he provides sustenance and, and, you know, it just, he didn't address Elijah's sassy attitude at all. He just saw this extremely needy, stressed out, exhausted prophet. So Amanda, do you have another one? Yeah. So my, one of my favorite stories is, you know, in regards to this is when Lazarus dies, you know, he's a good friend of Jesus's and Mary and Martha had sent word to Jesus that Lazarus was sick. Jesus made the decision to not go right away. We know from the story that Lazarus needed to die so that Jesus could perform this miracle of raising him to life. And he arrives at Mary and Martha's home after Lazarus has been dead, I think three days, maybe. And Mary and Martha, both, they both come to Jesus at separate times. And they say, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And like, I can hear their agony in that. And they're placing blame on Jesus. They're like, we know you're a miracle worker. We know if you had been here, you would have healed him. But we, as the readers know from the story, that's not true. There was a purpose for Lazarus's death so that he could be raised to life. 
And Jesus doesn't come in and correct them and say, that's actually not true. Your feelings, you know, feelings aren't truth. He meets them where they are. And Martha has this long theological discussion about the resurrection with him, you know, and, and I can really relate to that when, you know, when people have big feelings, sometimes they just need to talk through things and talk with someone, talk it out. Mary, she comes in and she just starts crying with him and he cries and grieves. His It says his heart is troubled. His heart is troubled with her. He knows that he is about to raise Lazarus, Lazarus, and he still takes time to bear witness to her struggle, to her grief, to the very real emotions that she's experiencing. And he experiences them with her. And I think that that is just a, a beautiful model of how we can show up for our children when they struggle and when they don't have the full perspective that maybe we do, and they don't understand things from a position of wisdom. And we can empathize with them in that and be like, yep, this is hard. Yeah. This is hard for you. It, it's hard for me sometimes too. Yeah. And we have that model in scripture over and over again. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Another one that I just thought of as, as you were speaking was Peter, you know, Jesus said, Hey buddy, this is what's going to happen. You are going to deny me three times. Oh no, no, no. I'll die. Yeah. So then when it happens, there's no record in scripture of Jesus confronting Peter. Mm-mm. only that he reinstates him mm-hmm. and removes the shame and translates that failure into calling. And I just, think that's so beautiful. It's like, I've had parents say it was so freeing to realize I don't have to address every single thing. I can just focus on addressing the key things, getting discernment from the Lord about that. And then putting my focus on modeling and proactive teaching and training. Yeah. And we just see that with Peter, you know, God was just, Jesus was just a focused on equipping him for the calling ahead, not for going back and digging through what Peter, how Peter sinned in that day. Oh, so rich Lynn and Amanda, this has been a beautiful, beautiful conversation. And I would say really the bottom line is it doesn't matter if it's sin or if it's struggle or, you know, what's going on. We're going to approach it the same. We're going to sit with our children and we're going to think what, what's the opportunity here? What is the wisdom that needs to be grown here to help my child know what they need when I'm asking them to come off of the screen or, you know, how do I set my child up for success in this moment? And, um, that's the bottom line, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think as parents, um, you know, as Christian parents, we, we kind of see ourselves in the role of the Holy Spirit in our child's lives as we really want to make sure we convict them. We want really want to make sure they're convicted of their sin. And sometimes, and this was for me early on, that was at the expense of the Holy Spirit as a counselor and as a comforter. And, you know, ultimately we actually can't convict our children of sin. That is exclusively the job of the Holy Spirit. And we as parents have to let go of that control and submit to the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our children's lives. And we can still show up as the counselor, as the comforter, as the one who guides and leads our children towards maturity and towards wisdom. But the conviction is exclusively the job of God. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes, I think that this whole issue of, of we are not called to judge our children is so key. And it says that in Luke 6, 37, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn 
and you will not be condemned. And I love something that Jim has said is that our best parenting leaves our kids eager for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Mm, amen. Yes. Parenting leaves our kids eager for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And that is up to us to, to teach the beauty of repentance, not the, the crushing shame. Um, and then to model that in interactions with our kids when we've blown it, to model the, the beauty of repentance, the beauty of reconciliation and celebrate that in the process. And I just yeah. feel like that's how we can leave our kids eager for the conviction of the Holy Spirit and leave that job of conviction up to the Holy Spirit. So good. Well, thanks, Lynn. And thanks, Amanda, for being with me today on this hot topic, would you say? It's definitely produced a lot of conversation on social media, on Instagram and Facebook. Be sure to uh, go and check out Amanda Erickson and Flourishing Homes and Families and their very active Instagram page and all of Amanda's amazing reels that are so filled <laughs> with great content. Yeah, it's it's just good. So thanks, Amanda, for being with us. Yeah, well, we love you guys so much. And I thank you for the opportunity to have this discussion and, you know, to wrestle with some, some deep things together. And we, we love the connected families community as well. We're glad you're part of it. Thanks Lynn yeah. for joining me today too. Oh, my privilege. Thanks for tuning in today, friends. Well, are you interested in diving deeper to learn more about sensitive and intense kids? Would a free short online course on seven practical calming strategies for kids be helpful for you? Well, we have plenty of free resources to get you started. Go to the show notes to get all the information. If this podcast has been helpful, hit subscribe, consider sharing it with a friend. Those steps are so helpful to spread God's grace and truth to more parents. Well, for more information about Connected Families, follow us on Instagram or Facebook or go to connectedfamilies.org. I will see you next time.